Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for July 31st, 2017. This is Peter Serretta. On today's show in the mailbag, I'll be giving an app recommendation for a good movie app. And in the feature presentation, we'll be talking to our own Huaytran Bui about the best movies of 2017 so far. First up, let's just jump into the mailbag. Kevin from Florida asks to give an a recommendation for a movie-related app that he might not have. And um, the first one that comes to my mind is the app and website Letterboxd. And that's Letterboxd without an E. So it's Letterboxd and then D.com. Uh, you can you can find the app in, I, think, I believe, the App Store and probably Google Play. What I you can rate movies and log movies, and I do that. A lot of people do that. You can follow me at slash film on there. But uh, the thing that I probably use it the most for is they have a feature on there called the watch list, I believe, uh, where you can basically add movies that you want to see to your watch list. So you have a kind of a list, a running list of movies that you're kind of excited about. And the cool thing about that is it also has a filter, so you can like filter like. Which, what movies from your watch list are on iTunes or Netflix or Amazon. So when I'm at home uh, with my girlfriend Kitra and we're looking to watch a movie 
on TV, it's always, you know, struggle to find, decide what you're going to watch. But I, I believe Letterboxd has made that process a little bit easier because we can find out what, what things we were excited about that are available on streaming uh, right now. So that's what I use Letterboxd for. As always, you can submit your question to the mailbox by sending me an email at peter at Please include your name and general geographical location so that we can mention it on there in case we use your question. But now, let's move on to the feature presentation, my conversation with Huai Tran Bui about the best movies of 2017 so far. I have to disclose that this conversation was actually recorded a couple weeks back when we were just starting up this podcast, so the, the, the quality isn't as good as it is now um, and, you know, does not include the last few weeks of movies. But I, I think it's a great conversation nonetheless. HD, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm doing good. So your top 10 movies of 2017 is much different than everybody else's on the site I've seen that I've seen thus far. So I think it's the most interesting um, okay. And I, w- I want to talk some of these over with you. Um, all right. All right. It sounds like you're getting ready to kind of battle me over these, but. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I, I, I love the diverse uh, selection here. I think you're the first that we'll start with 10. I think you're the first to have Colossal on their mm-hmm. top 10. Uh, so I really like Colossal because it was the first movie I'd seen in a while that I didn't I really didn't know where it was going as I was watching the film. And I came in sort of expecting this indie comedy meets a supernatural monster movie twist. And I didn't exactly expect it to have this socially conscious message behind it. It's really nice to be surprised by a movie because it's so easy to kind of telegraph films and predict where they're going because, you know, blockbusters are becoming heavily formulaic as well as just as we become more informed audiences you know we tend to we see more movies we know how where they're going and i really like that i just didn't know where colossal was going and uh yeah it was it was charming but it was also i think quite incisive when this thing when this film played at film festivals it got like a huge response and i feel like i i read a couple of those reviews so i knew what was coming and i i mm-hmm. guess uh the, the film festival reaction i think it's much in tune with your reaction of it being very different than your expectations and i i, I like much of the film i think the the lat- latter like third of it i'm not sure i bought some of the the actions of uh jason's character but um yeah no, I've had that discussion with other people, too. And number, number nine on your list, John Wick mm. Chapter 2. Yeah. Um, great action movie, but awesome world building. Why mm-hmm. is this on your list? Um, so I think this is one that definitely overlaps with everyone else. Um, and I actually saw John Wick and John Wick 2 really late. I caught them. Um, I caught John Wick on cable when it uh, was airing on cable like a couple months ago and then I just streamed John Wick 2 on um, Amazon when it came on there and um, I it, it definitely exceeded my expectations so everyone was talking about how it was this tight action film with these gorgeously choreographed pieces that are you know recall John Woo um, and I was surprised by like how balletic the action sequences were and yeah like like you said the world building in John Wick 2 especially is just so impressive I um 
was I did not expect that as well. And I thought that I read Jacob's uh, magnum opus piece on John Wick <laughs> too, and I Jacob really like that. Jacob go long, no. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he he really went into like the mythological implications of John Wick too, and I really I I think that it's really cool that we can have an action film such as this that people can read so deeply into, despite it being on the surface very pulpy and very B movie. Um, I don't know. I just yeah, John Wick two is definitely one of the most exhilarating and interesting action movies I've seen in like the past decade. I think. I love how in your piece you call it the Godfather Part Two of action films. Yes. Yeah. Let, let, let's just hope that John Wick Three isn't the Godfather Three of of action films. Yeah, hopefully not. But yeah, it's um. I know that like the Godfather Two of what's so of whatever is a term that's thrown around a lot, but I really feel like it definitely does that because it improves upon the original and really elevates it into being, you know, a classic action film. I think. Yeah, and number eight on your list, I feel like this movie is on everybody's list. This, mm-hmm. These are the two uh, constants is Logan. So I have not seen many of the Wolverine movies. I've only seen like a part of the first Wolverine solo film. But hey, Logan... Wait a second. Wait a second. <laughs> because I, I, I really like Logan a lot, but I always assumed that the emotional... Uh, payoff of that film really rested on you having a relationship with Hugh Jackman as that character for mm-hmm. you know over a decade, but right. you didn't have that, and that's and you still no, yeah, that's why I think the movie is so powerful because I've seen the X Men films and um, Logan Wolverine is a really strong part of that ensemble cast, um, and he does get a lot of the spotlight because he's you know a big scene stealer, but he doesn't. I didn't get a lot of the um, emotional arc that I know people got from watching his solo films. But Logan, despite not coming in with that information, Logan still really hit um, hit that mark for me. It was, And I think that that's what makes a really powerful film, that it can stand alone apart from the rest of the emotional journey that you've seen in the other films and really just make you cry and make that impact on you. So um, definitely, I will say, though, that it wasn't the ending scene that made me cry like most other people did. It was the scene between Charles and um, uh, and Logan in the house uh, yeah, after... Yeah. Yeah, and Let's be vague God, so that we don't yeah. completely spoil things, but yeah. I'll just say the part where Logan says, it wasn't me, in that heartbroken voice just completely rips me apart. So... Yeah. Yeah, Logan, and I think that um, Logan really does the Western homage well. So you'll notice that I don't have War for the Planet of the Apes on this list, despite having seen it. I think that it's because I saw it so closely after Logan, and they both pull really strongly from these Western inspirations, like the Western genre inspirations, and I think that Logan does it better. So that's why I included it on my list and I didn't include War for the Planet of the Apes. It just really transcends both the genre that it's inspired from and the genre that it's like in the superhero genre. I do think it's interesting that we're getting a lot of these superhero movies that are uh, maybe not transcending genre, but they're, you know, just when I thought I might be getting sick of 
superhero mm-hmm. movies there's you know logan or you know spider-man home homecoming where it's like a high school movie or deadpool mm-hmm. where it's r-rated comedy and right. it's you know it's doing things differently but for the record you are totally wrong on war for the planet of the apes okay 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 i <laughs> just for the record <laughs> i understand that i think it's also because i i connect more with like the wandering loner ronin third like uh, trope of western films um yeah. and that is embodied so well in logan so like that is what pushed it over the edge for me i get it um mm-hmm. th- your next film on your list number seven i have not seen yet and it's on netflix right now and it's Okja. yeah yeah so um i really loved Okja. it i know it has a lot of um polarizing reactions just because it is so over the top and ridiculous but I, I I enjoyed it for that. It felt like a ET well, the, o- the opening maybe. line of your 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 thing makes me want to mm-hmm. see it really badly because you said it mm-hmm. marries a Studio Ghibli wilderness fantasy film with a Steven Spielberg child adventure movie, and that like that sounds like my perfect movie right there. Like it that. is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry for interrupting, but um, yeah, it definitely has all the elements of those things. Um, you can see the sort of socially, uh, the commentary about uh, nature and about uh, corporate greed and everything. And that really draws from Studio Ghibli films. And the whole girl and her super pig story is very reminiscent of E.T., for example. And um, it's just kind of that and hopped on G- GMO steroids. So it's like, it's incredibly, it's very wacky and crazy but i feel like there's a lot of heart underneath it and i think that's what's important um and i like bong joon ho a lot i adored snowpiercer and i love the host um and i think that if people go in expecting a serious follow-up to snowpiercer uh then they will get disappointed by okja but i think that if you go in with an open mind and just you know are open to seeing a movie that is half super pig fart jokes, half uh, <laughs> really clunky uh, messaging about corporate greed and half just like a love story between a girl and her pig, you will, it's a lot of halves, but you will enjoy Okja. <laughs> Your next film, number six, I saw at Sundance and I, mm-hmm. I really, really dug it. It's Get Out by Jordan Peele. And everybody has fallen in love with this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I thought it was very good. But for me, it's a horror movie that, you know, it, it does what we want movies to do, where it, it speaks about us as a society mm-hmm. <laughs> and as humanity. But right. uh, but it's still like a, just a horror movie. And I feel like some of the horror tropes are horror tropes. Why is this so high up on your list? And I know I'm in the minority here in saying, so- you know, it's not amazing. But mm-hmm. it has put – it has launched him – yeah, into this. definitely put him on the map. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, my friends were actually criticizing me for putting it so low on the list, which I think is funny mm. compared to what you were saying. <laughs> um, oh, I, I'm but, totally in the minority, so it's... Uh... Yeah. No, I I really like Get Out, and I like that it's kind of introduced this wave in socially conscious um, genre movies. I think this one and Colossal definitely have that sort of vein going through it. Um, and what I liked about Get Out is that, you know, it has the horror tropes, but those horror tropes are used in a way that, um, they're not used to distract from the plot, but they're used to add to the plot of how 
these microaggressions are actually, these racial microaggressions are tangible and real and threatening to the main yeah. character. So I like that he uses these horror tropes in a really unique way. So not just in playing into the genre, but using the genre to build up his message, if that makes sense. That totally makes um, sense. Yeah. And I really like, what I like about Get Out too was um, not only seeing it with an audience, which is definitely definitely added to my experience just because it's so enjoyable. Everyone is whooping and screaming and trying to yell at the screen. Um, but also that there is there were so many layers to this film and I keep finding out more details that Jordan Peele uh, added into the film. Um, for example, that like I wouldn't get on the first viewing. For example, the... Um, the cotton in the chair that uh, Daniel, I think that was his name. Yeah. Yeah. Is the main character so. that he picks from the, the chair and he plugs it into his ears. So it was kind of a reference to the cotton picking of, um, of slavery and of slaves. And uh, that was tied hmm. into that as well. So it's like, there are a lot of little nuances that I think really add to how well the film, how well made the film is. Your number number five on your list is another film that's on a lot of the top tens on Slash Film, um, and that is Edgar Wright's Baby Driver. So, yes. so why did you like Baby Driver? Um, I'm an Edgar Wright fan in general. I really love his just mastery of visual comedy and visual action, and he definitely is at his peak in Baby Driver with that. It's just it's so fun to watch, and it's also driven by, as everyone knows, like the soundtrack and how it's organically um, brought into the film through uh, Baby's uh, sort of uh, disability. And um, yeah, it's some of the, like all the characters are just so interesting and fun, especially John Hamm was a huge standout. Um, I didn't expect him to be quite so terrifying. And I think he really, he really sold that role. And uh, I'm, actually kind of on the fence about Ansel, Ansel Elgort. I'm not sure whether I like him or not, but he was really charming in this. Um, really? I when Kevin I, when I saw him in this, I was like, I wish he was Han Solo. <laughs> uh, I've seen quite a few critics criticize Baby Driver for the portrayal of female characters. D did yeah, you... I mentioned that too. Um, so Lily James definitely gets the shorts end of the stick. Um I think this is actually a problem that reoccurs in a lot of Edgar Wright films. He tends to really use his uh, kind of white male protagonist outsider characters uh, as the focus and shy and doesn't really give much else to any of the female supporting characters or really any, he doesn't really have much diversity in his movie as well, but except baby driver shows a little bit more diversity, but um, I've noticed that he, doesn't tend to write much for female characters. Um, I think like the best written female character he had was uh, Rosamund Pike's character in World's End. The yeah. World's End, yes. But Lily James was definitely very flat in this movie. Yeah, even the, the rest of the characters in here, I never felt really expanded beyond the fun archetype that they were portraying. But I felt like that kind of fed into the kind of movie this was, which was a really cheesy and throwback sort of film to these action 
heist films of the 70s and the 80s. Do you know what I mean? It's it yeah. it definitely it plays it, the characters play into what the movie is trying to say. But I do think that this film and Edgar Wright in general has a problem with female characters. Yeah. Not that he writes them badly, just that he doesn't write them at all. And, and it's funny that you mentioned 80s and 90s. Like I feel like. And it's great that this movie is doing well because it's a delight and it's a great movie. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the mar- from the marketing, it almost just seemed like a 80s or 90s heist movie that, you know, a, a disposable heist movie, which that's not yeah. what it is. And um, mm-hmm. and it, it's great that people are finding it. Uh, number four on your list is the second of three movies I have not seen on your list. Uh, and that is It Comes at Night. I unexpectedly adored It Comes at Night. So I'm not a huge horror fan. I'm actually what you'd say is the opposite of a horror fan. Um, but I, I have two horror movies on my list, which is really surprising. Um, and Colossal I just, might even be a third, technically. Colossal, yeah, because it's a monster yeah. feature. Yeah. Um, but, oh my God, It Comes at Night. Just I wouldn't say it changed my life, but it definitely made an impact. Um, I really loved that um, it sort of made this commentary on this rise in nihilism that we're seeing in a lot of film and media today in TV in general. And it kind of brings in the consequences of that nihilistic viewpoint. And it makes, it brings home like how, Fear and paranoia can be the biggest enemies of humanity, essentially. I don't know. It's hard to explain without spoiling it, but... Yeah, let's not spoil it. (laughs) Yeah, I I won't spoil it. But it's definitely... It's not so much a horror movie as it is an anti-horror movie, almost. Because it doesn't go in for the jump scares or for any traditional horror genre tropes as much as it kind of builds this overwhelming sense of dread throughout the film. And... It's this portrayal of like a dystopic, really isolated um, set piece. And it just, it is, it's a really fascinating sort of meditation on fear and paranoia and how the innate destructiveness of humanity or how bad humanity can exactly get. And I love those kinds of films that explore that. So it comes and I definitely like hit a, struck a chord with me in terms of like the themes that it was going for. And Joel Edgerton is amazing in it. Um, yeah, it's definitely, it's a film that if you go in expecting a horror movie, you will hate it. But because I, I, there was a woman yeah. behind me who was like two thirds of the way through the movie. She was like, I hate this film. But it was kind of mismarketed, wasn't it? It definitely was mismarketed. Yeah. But I think A24 has been doing that. You know, it actually kind of reminds me of the marketing for The Lobster. Yeah. And um, how that was kind of marketed as a sort of, dark quirky romantic comedy and with a dystopian twist and in fact turned out to be really harrowing it comes at night has a lot of shades of that um in fact i would say it's kind of the horror equivalent of the lobster uh, yeah i i loved it comes at night a lot number three on your list is the probably the most surprising film of the summer <laughs> so far mm-hmm. but not the most surprising film on your list we'll get to no. that um <laughs> Uh, and that is Wonder Woman. Tell us about why you love Wonder Woman. So I feel like I've talked about it a lot, um, both on Slash Film and also uh, <laughs> Slash Film cast. But it's just, it's 
it's very fresh and new, not just because it's so earnest and um, shows a compassionate and flawed character at its center, but because it has a female character that is able to be flawed and be all of these things and not have to and be at the center of a, of a blockbuster film. Um, it was really it's really amazing just watching the battle scenes in that movie, uh, No Man's Land in particular, and also the beach scene on the mascara uh, and just be able to experience for the first time what all the other male audience goers have been have been experiencing for a while. Just seeing people who look like me and being able to see all these women on screen and just kick ass. And that, for some reason, was a really emotional experience for me because I have never seen a battle scene like that with so many women on one in one shot. So, oh, that was awesome. Yeah, it, it's amazing. <laughs> okay, I'm I'm not getting emotional over it again, but um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Wonder Woman for me is is like that. I think I know that it is a flawed film. I know the third act is really is really clunky and a big mess. But I think the emotional reaction that it draws out of me and what it's doing with its female character with Diana Themyscira um, really is what makes it a great film. For sure. And I mm-hmm. feel like if the first two thirds of the movie, uh, if the last third of the movie was as good as the first two thirds of the movie, it would mm-hmm. be in my top three as well. Yeah. But I feel like the, the, the ending is yeah. kind of a mess. <laughs> so I would argue that it's not even as bad as other third act clunkers, even, you know, Iron Man, for example, which had great first two thirds and then the messy last third. Yeah. I think that Wonder Woman isn't as, isn't like the worst third act I've ever seen. And it had oh, a really sure. interesting, interesting message as well. So I think that because of its ambition and its message, it makes it a better film than people are giving it a, criticizing it for. Yeah, no, it's definitely a very good superhero film. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two on your list is a movie I fell in love with at Sundance, and I've seen mm-hmm. it twice now, uh, and every time I cry. Uh, it's it's mm-hmm. a movie called The Big Sick. So why yes. did you love The Big Sick? I I love rom coms so much, and I miss them being in theaters. I haven't. I don't think we've had a traditional rom com in theaters um, for at least. I don't know, five, seven years now. Um, and it's, it's really... been a while. It, yeah, it's been it, like mostly, mostly you see like comedies that have a romance subplot tacked on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not like a full on rom-com. Exactly. You have, a, it's mostly a raunch comedy or an indie comedy and maybe this romance is there, but it's tertiary. Um, here in The Big Sick, the romance is front and center. And I love how earnest it is with that plot and with and with how much it's about that romance um and i like that it wasn't emotionally manipulative despite it being centered around sort of a sickness um and i do like too that even though it is an indie rom-com it doesn't fall fall victim to one of the many trappings of any rom-coms and trying to make it make the, its characters too pathetic or too real yeah. i always i always find that really um kind of a bummer with indie rom-coms. They always try to go for this um, vein of realism and end up making it too depressing. And here, even though it gets in some dark places, it has that undercurrent of optimism that traditional rom-coms have. And also, it's just so encouraging to see 
a Pakistani man, a Southeast Asian man at the center of an American rom-com. So oh, yeah. that that really connected for me as well, just because I always really enjoy when I see stories about Asian Americans or people who are of a third culture, for example, um, telling their stories on the big screen. Master of None definitely um, hit a struck a chord with me. The Big Sick did as well, and I I, I enjoy seeing seeing plot lines and stories and characters that reflect my own experiences. Um, and The Big Sick did that, and yeah, made me cry. Tugged at my heartstrings. I loved it. Me too. Um, it mm-hmm. might be on the top of my list. We'll find out next week. Um, right. Top of your list, though, Yay. is a movie. I, I don't think it might. It might not be on anybody else's list. I haven't seen it. I don't think mm-hmm. on anybody else's list. And it's a movie. And it's a movie called Your Name. And this is an anime, right? Yes, it's an anime film by director Makoto Shinkai, and it was the biggest. Um, anime film, animated film of uh, in the box office in Japan. I think it broke records, uh, broke box office records over there. Um, and it's, it's definitely deserving of that. So it at first seems sort of like a coming of age school, school yard romance type of film, but it's actually a metaphysical body switch film. It has all these elements of like the humor that you find in body switch films, but and like the sweet um, first first romance of um, coming of age films, but it also delves into time travel and this metaphysical exploration of loss and love, and um, I love that kind of stuff. I I think if you've seen like my top favorite movies of all time list i have a lot of time travel movies and movies that deal (laughs) with like yeah movies that deal with like humanity in the face of supernatural um obstacles and that kind of thing and your name definitely taps into all of that and i especially like that this movie really delves into sort of like the tragedy within the mundane because it's a slow film not not much really happens in it until like the last act um but Mm. it it really kind of just it lingers and you know lets you live with these characters and i really love like the juxtaposition of the countryside and the bustling city and you can tell that it's a very uniquely japanese film in that regard and i've actually seen um some of the other films by the director makoto shinkai and he's dealt with these themes before especially in his i think it was a short film five centimeters per five centimeters per second and that mm-hmm. is like that is one of the most gorgeous animated films I've ever seen. So for five centimeters per second, it has a similar plot in that it's these two people who are kind of separated by time and distance. Um, and they have this, as they grow older, they have this yearning in their inside. They have this emptiness that they can't fill because they feel like they're missing something, but they don't know what it is. Um, and it's a very wistful and melancholy feeling. Um, but five is, centimeters is that your second, film online? I think it is. It's, you think it is? It's okay, really I'll beautiful. Link it. Yeah, um, yeah. Please do. Um, your name is yeah. um, definitely like an expansion of that short film he did, an improvement of of it, and that's why it's just it's so lovely and so it definitely makes you think, which is a film, which is what I like in films. Well, it's definitely going to be added to my watch list now. <laughs> <laughs> now after hearing all that. Um, mm-hmm. 
Thanks for joining me on Slash Film Daily. Where can we find more of your work? Uh, so you can find my work at SlashFilm.com. Uh, I sometimes guest on Slash Filmcast. And I also have my own podcast, the Millennial Falcon Podcast. You can find us on SoundCloud or on iTunes. Very cool. Thanks for joining us, HD. All right. Thank you. And that does it for today's edition of Slash Film Daily. Tomorrow we'll be back with the latest news from the world of movies and television. Please, if you're liking this podcast, go to iTunes, give us a review, rate it. Uh, If you have some feedback for us, you can always reach us at peter at slashfilm.com.